can't think of a better way to start the year than to be reminded of that. Victory has a name, folks. Redemption has a name. Truth has a name. Hope has a name. Love has a name. And the name is Jesus. So thank you so much for that. A lot has happened over the last week. We completed one year and began a new one. I just wanted to make sure you knew that in case you've been asleep for some time. So I hope that 2019 is treating you well so far. Anybody keeping up with their resolutions? We're only six days in, folks, just six days in. I know you're soon going to feel the need to give in. Don't do it. You don't do it. Just keep going on. Also, been a whole lot of football played over the last week. Somebody said there's one more game left to be played that some of you are looking forward to. I know some of you are already looking forward to college baseball season. That's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. I also have this uh, big shift in Washington. There's a new majority in the House of Representatives, a new Speaker of the House. And I was reading that the Speaker of the House has invited the President to the joint session of Congress to deliver the State of the Union January 29th. Mark it on your calendars. I know you love that. Half the crowd cheering and half the crowd booing for a long period of time. But I've decided to just go ahead and steal the President's thunder. And I'm going to deliver a summarized version of the State of the Union address this morning. And so simply stated, I would say this, the state of our union is one of utter and total disunity. I'm sure you've noticed. As one person put it, unity is certainly more noticeable by its absence than its presence today. You know, the motto that's on our great seal of the United States is e pluribus unum. Out of many, one. That's the great American ideal. That so many folks from different backgrounds, different experiences come together from many different places as one nation. But we've discovered in our relatively short existence that unity is really hard to attain. It's a hard thing to, once you attain it, to maintain it. It seems like what unity we once had as a nation has been fractured possibly to the point of no return. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce argue that, argues that what has taken the place of this ideal of unity is pluralism. He says, people no longer work for harmony. Instead, they struggle with each other for group advantages and individual rights. I think that's probably true. His analysis is based on a study from the 1970s that documented this massive shift taking place among Americans and their values, by which many and eventually most Americans begin to seek personal self-fulfillment as the ultimate goal of life rather than the, uh, operating on the principle that we are to serve one another and even sacrifice for others. So our lack of unity has led our country to become this vast, maybe even terrifying anti-community. It's just hard to exist here. Perhaps the nation of Israel was struggling with the same or a similar experience of disharmony or coming out of a state of disunity when David wrote Psalm 133, which we're going to look at this morning. Now, we're not really given a time frame as to when David wrote this psalm, but we do know that he's the author of it, and he penned it as a song. And many believe that David wrote this soon after, or maybe at that moment, when all Israel rallied together behind him as king. When uh, King Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed, 
then the allies of Saul began to war against the allies of David. And there was this strife that went on until 2 Samuel 5. And the writer says that when all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and pledged allegiance. So it may have been that when the hope of unity became a reality after years of strife under the rule of King Saul, and in that period of time between Saul and David, that David writes these words. So I'm going to read to you from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. This song, which is really poetic, is focused on the ideal of living in a community that's united. A community of unity. True unity is a gift from God. And I think the scriptures declare here in this passage that it is a blessing upon any community that has it. So as a local church, for us today, what I think we can learn is that we need one another. And we are ultimately dependent on God to give our community of faith the blessing of unity. Specifically, unity around those things that matter most. Now, the psalm is very poetic, and I, I hate to uh, lose sight of that, but there are, uh, by an, overanalyzing it, but I do think there are three key points that we can pull out of this passage as we focus on this grand idea of life together as the body of Christ. And those three points that we're going to look at this morning are unity, is from God, unity is contagious, and unity is a foretaste of heaven. So we'll look at that first one, the idea of unity is from God. You know, even if you turn into the first pages of Scripture, to the book of Genesis, there in the Garden of Eden, uh, you will find that God is looking out and observing the people there, and it says, or the person that's there, in Genesis 2.18, and he says, he observes, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God had this dream from the very beginning of man living with relationships and in harmony. And so it was out of that dream that God had for man whom he had created that he made a woman and gave the man a wife. And his plan from the very beginning was unity in relationships. But where do we seem to mess up unity first? In our marriages and in our families. It seems to be that's where we mess it up first. But God meant for the ideal of unity to begin in the family and then spread from there into the community. Well, you know, prior to sin, the first man and woman lived in this perfect joy. They experienced the blessing, the bounty of all the things God had given them. And then sin enters the world and with it creeps in accusations and jealousy and selfishness. And disharmony, all of these things creep into our relationships and into our society. And even among God's people. I mean, Israel was God's people. And under the anointed king, King Saul, these factions and strife is really what characterized Israel. So just like you read the news today and you think, man, can we not get along? The same thing was happening there when King Saul was ruling over Israel. The nation was saying, can we just not get along? And it's likely in that reality that David writes this psalm and he begins with this word, behold. 
It's as if David is drawing attention to an extraordinary reality. He's saying, look, everybody look. What was impossible, God is now making possible. The people can dwell together in unity. And he describes the unity like precious oil upon the head. And of course he's referring to anointing oil. Uh, More specifically, he's talking about the anointing of uh, the priest, the first high priest, Aaron. And so he says it's like, so how is unity like oil upon the, uh, being anointed on the first high priest? Well, anointing was done at God's direction. His idea, he came up with it, he directed it. He chose the priest and he directed how they were to anoint the priest and when they were to anoint the priest. Not only that, he determined how it was supposed to happen and it was according to his authority that the one who was chosen was being anointed. And if there was any blessing out of Aaron becoming, being anointed as priest, it all traced back to God. So anointing is done at God's direction, in his way, and under his authority. Well, the same thing uh, could be said about unity. Unity comes from God. Sometimes we think we can make it or create it, but unity comes from God. Derek Kidner, Kidner wrote, True unity, like all good gifts, is from above. Bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. We tend to think that we can achieve unity if we just work hard enough, if we find a rallying point, maybe somebody to rally behind, or an event to rally behind, or some sort of circumstances. But ultimately, the possibility of unity is only available as a gift from God. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a uh, German theologian. He lived, he ministered, he taught, and he wrote uh, during that period of time uh, of the rise and reign of the Nazi party. A couple years ago, a few years back, I read um, a biography uh, by Eric Metaxas called Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. Some of you may have read that. I've had some conversation with some folks who have. But this book only instilled more respect in my heart for this great believer and ultimately a martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As the Nazi party began to pressure German churches, the official church, to fall in line with Hitler's movement, Bonhoeffer helped uh, with others to form this clandestine and illegal church. It's called the Confessing Church of Germany. And he taught at one of the Confessing Church seminaries that was underground called Finkenwalde. And based on his experience and, uh, with the seminarians at Finkenwalde, he wrote a book called Life Together. I know many of you have read that book. I think our student ministry leaders are reading that book uh, maybe right now. But I've been reading it, and um, I've been thinking about it in light of our own church, of Life Together. The book deals with uh, the nature of a Christ-centered community where people come together, believers come together, and Jesus is at the center of it. It's the sort of community that believers are moved to do what they would be unable to accomplish without Jesus. So things are different. It's not just we gather together and we have a like mind. We come together and Jesus does what only he can do within the community. And so all of a sudden people are offering one another this self-giving love in a prayerful, compassionate, and caring community. And Christ is central there. And he graces Christians to go beyond the superficial, often self-centered relationships of everyday associations and to move toward this more intimate sense of what it means to be Christ to other people, to love others as Christ would love them. 
And Bonhoeffer basically says, this is what the church should be. That we come together and we love to the degree that Jesus loved. And we care to the degree that Jesus cared. And we serve to the degree that Jesus cared and shared and loved. And what I'm learning all over again in this book is that we need each other. The church exists as a place where we can belong. Where we can experience and live out this self-giving love in this prayerful, compassionate, and caring community. We need that. Well, God blesses us with the possibility of true community through the church. And I would say specifically through the local church. Unfortunately, our churches are not always exempt from the fractured disharmony that we see in our world today. Sometimes what you get here is about the same as you get somewhere else. It ought not be that way. Because if we're not careful, individualism overtakes the church, and we come to church, we listen to the sermon, we say hello to our circle of friends, and then we drive home having never experienced any sort of community. We have to fight against that. That is not what the church should be. While unity is blessing rather than achievement, I think sometimes we can set the table for unity or disunity by our actions or attitudes. You know, by the way we come in here, by the things that we do, sometimes we're just setting the table for unity or possibly disunity. Because sin in and of itself always fractures unity. When we do those things that God would have us not do, or say those things or think those things that don't bring him pleasure, then we're fracturing unity within our own community. So to really experience the blessing of unity in the church, we must be together. So I was thinking about this. And I was thinking for one of our New Year's resolutions as a congregation, that at First Baptist, it should be for everyone to find a place to belong in our church. We all ought to find a place to belong. That means more than just having your pew picked out. You have to get connected. You have to find community. You have to find a place to serve, a place where you can belong. You're not here simply to fill a spot in the pew. You know, our success as a congregation is not on our seating capacity. The truth is it's really not on our average attendance. Those things are great. I'd love to see this place overflowing. But I want it to come as a result of the community that's within our church. That people have a place where they can belong, where they love one another, they pray for one another, they care for one another, they reach out, they put others in front of themselves. So success for us is rooted in life together as the body of Christ. Now let me make a comment about this. I believe the best place for community to happen is within a small group. I mean, we gather together as the full body of Christ to worship together, but really community is built in small groups. So you find community in maybe one of our men's or women's small groups or Bible studies. Our bulletin is full of them today. Great opportunities for you to plug into a group. Uh, or maybe in our real men's group that will be kicking off here soon. You can find it in the choir. I know that community really happens within each section of the choir and uh, each group that's there. But I'll tell you this. I actually believe the be very best place for you to find community in our church is in Sunday school. It's in the small group of a Sunday school class that we actually experience the fellowship that's supposed to take place within a church. Perhaps you shake a hand in a sanctuary, but in the, in the Sunday school class, hopefully you build a friendship. You build a relationship. It's in Sunday school that we as a church are best prepared and actually organized to do ministry. It's there that we're able to pray for one another. When a need comes up, the Sunday school class steps in and fills the need. It's the Sunday school class that's regularly praying 
and reaching out. And here's the good news. There's a place for you here at First Baptist. So unity is not contrived, but it is bestowed. And because it is a gift from God. And as a community experiences unity, you'll find that it's a contagious thing. So I want you to look out. David describes unity within community. Verse 2 and 3. It says, It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Did you notice this repetition in the passage? Coming down, coming down, coming down. It's said three times in there. Coming down upon the beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. <clears throat> so this repetition of this Hebrew word places emphasis on the fact that unity is based on God's initiative. It trickles down from above. If we're to have unity, it comes from above. And he uses this illustration of the anointing of Aaron that we've already talked about. And so God blessed Aaron so he could bless others. That's what he did. He anointed Aaron not so that he could feel good about himself or make himself better, but so that he could bless others. It was not simply for his own benefit. And one of the things about the oil is that it is described as precious oil. So that would have mean that it would, um, well, we know this, it would have been very fragrant. People would have noticed it upon him. That's how he was anointed in a way that you could smell. My wife uses these essential oils in our home, and I can tell when she's diffusing them because of the smell in the air, right? Because these things are fragrant. Well, the anointing oil did not simply stay with Aaron, but everybody who passed by knew, and they experienced the blessing of that anointing. It could not be contained. Not only that, but the oil did not simply stay on his head. What does it say? It came down on his beard. It said it came down on the edge of his robes. When I first read that, I thought it was the hem of his robe. And I'm like, man, they really soaked him with oil here, you know. It's like rolled all the way down. I think it's talking about the collar, though. I had to reread it a couple times, you know. So it starts on the head. It rolls down the beard and then down even onto the collar here. The point is the anointing was meant to spread just as unity among our community of faith spreads. And so he reinforces this idea in verse 3 with this picture of dew on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the highest peak in Israel. And then it says that the dew would come down onto the mountains of Zion, which are lower peaks. And it demonstrates this attribute of unity that it trickles down. When a community experiences unity, it's blessing for those in the exalted position as well as the lowly position. When there's unity in D.C., it not only benefits the leadership of our country, not only the elected official, but we also experience it in our neighborhoods and in our own homes. And I was thinking about this because I actually think that what happens in our government is downstream from the people. We're not downstream from it. It's downstream from us. And so when all of a sudden we're experiencing disharmony in our homes and our communities, you're going to see that played out on the national level. You're going to see that played out in our own community leadership. So where does it start? It starts with us. When all of a sudden we can unite together, then it spreads and that it's downstream from us. That's what we'll see. But I want to clarify that there's a difference between uniformity and unity. There's always going to be differences in a community. There will always be differences. I mean, we're a downtown church. We experience more differences than most within our uh, community. Um, it's, it's one of the beautiful parts of our congregations. It's one of the things that attracted me here when I was just attending church. 
We come from all corners of our community, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of sorts of different experiences, economic brackets, occupations, schools. These folks go to schools all over the Midlands and beyond. That's what happens. So we come from different backgrounds, but we're united, not uniform, but united around those things that matter most. So the question ought to be then what matters most? And the application is, how do we unite around it? What matters most is the gospel. I just want to be clear about that. It is the gospel. That's what matters most. The good news that Jesus has come. He has torn down the separating wall between man and God. He has provided a way so that every man, woman, and child can have a relationship with God. They can experience forgiveness and they can live eternally with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. And that's what matters most. Practically everything else is secondary. Churches tend to have a lot of problems whenever we begin to major on minors. You see this happen a lot. I know that you all have different preferences. Some of you would have chosen different songs for today. Some of you would have chosen a different way for it to be sung. Some of you would have chosen a different version of the Bible for me to read from. Some of you would chose a different temperature on the thermostat. Some of you would like to have your car parked in the Washington street lot and not somebody else. We all have different preferences. So that's not the point here. Let's become a church that's not united around the minors. Let's be a church that's united by what matters most. There are people in our community that have no clue that God loves them. They are walking around thinking that God hates them or has abandoned them. They don't know that Jesus is the way to salvation. There are entire people groups in our world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Not one of them. And we complain and we rally and we create disunity around minor issues, but that's the major issue. There is a great God who desires that every tongue and every tribe will be gathered around his throne, bringing him glory and basking in the glory of the Lamb. That's what matters most. So in 2019, another resolution for us, let's decide as a church that what matters most for us at First Baptist, what we're going to be united around is that God loves every person on this planet. And wants everyone to hear that they can have a relationship with Jesus. You know, where there's unity, it flows from one person to another. And it benefits everyone. We also discover that unity reminds us that we're not home yet. It's a foretaste of heaven. Verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. thought about this for a while. And I thought, you know, there are some things that are good for us, but not pleasant. You know, there are some things that you have to do that are good for you, but they're not necessarily enjoyable. I know some of you have decided to do that as a New Year's resolution. You are not going to eat certain things, or rather you will eat certain things that are not necessarily good, uh, pleasant, but it's good for you. And so that's what you're doing. There are some things that are pleasant, but they're not good for you. See, I already messed it up. I took my kids to Krispy Kreme the other day, and then last night there was one last donut, and I messed it up for all of 2019. I went ahead and ate it. So, uh, but there are some things that are pleasant, but they're not good. James Montgomery Boyce writes, but the unity we have as God's people is both good and pleasant. It is even a bit of heaven now. It's not just good for us. It's not just pleasant for us. It is a good thing for us. 
In verse 3, the passage refers to life forever. And that's speaking of the perfect unity that will exist only in heaven. The book of Hebrews describes heaven as a place of joyful assembly. It describes it as an enduring city. And then Revelation 21 calls heaven New Jerusalem. And says in verse 4 that it's there that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. What God God has in store for us in heaven, we cannot grasp this morning. But we do get a glimpse of it in the unity that we experience in the body of Christ. Heaven will be a place that's void of disharmony. Because everyone will be united around one thing. And that's the name and the renown and the glory of the Father. That's it. So perfect harmony is not possible on earth because of the presence of sin. But the unity we experience in our family of faith reminds us that there is a day coming when Christ will return and make all things right. So as Christians, in what do we hope for for unity? Is it a cause? Do we think that we can be united around a cause? Maybe we think we'll be united by a candidate. Or maybe it's some sort of event. Only God can bring unity. And as I said before, I think it begins in our own lives, in our own families. And the true hope of perfect harmony is rooted in the hope of the return of Christ. You know, our world is in turmoil. And I'm sure some of you are concerned and wondering whether we'll ever experience civility or peace again. But I'm reminded that we are experiencing here in the world is simply a, re, uh, a reminder that we are, as a civilization, are marching towards the end of time. Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 7, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Birth pangs are painful signs that point toward deliverance. They start off small and far apart, but as time passes, they get more significant, they increase, and they occur more closely together. Perhaps this is exactly what we are experiencing in our world today. As turmoil has seems to increase, it seems to be more frequent and closer together. The local church ought to be a little outpost of heaven that we can seek unity, that we can find it. This is the place where people, other people, ought to come first. Our preferences ought to take the back seat. As believers and members of the local church, we ought to seek to serve, not to be served. So another resolution for us in 2019 is that I would say that everybody who calls First Baptist Church home ought to have a place where you are serving. Every one of us. There are plenty of places to serve. We have people that do all kinds of things here. All during the week we have folks that come and do small projects to kind of fix and repair and improve things, save the church money. Uh, We also have folks even right now back here answering phone calls from TV viewers uh, who are calling in wanting to be prayed for or prayed with and encouraged. We have all kinds of places for you to volunteer, to serve. If you call this place home, you ought to serve. Some of you might want to serve in our children's or student ministry. We need folks there. We actually need the best of the best because if we're going to reach our community, we better reach the children. So we need the best of the best there. We need, uh, if I said we all need a place uh, to belong in Sunday school, then that means we need more classes. We need more teachers. We need more people who step up and say, that's me. 
I'll, I'll, I'll organize the outreach project. I'll do the fellowship. Let me tell you another way that I think you ought to serve. I would love for hospitality to be a hallmark at First Baptist. So we need more folks that are prepared to greet at the doors, to serve in our welcome centers, to connect people. And I would say this year, I would love it that if we have folks outside greeting people as they get out of their cars, making sure they know you're home and we're glad you're here. There's a place for you to serve. So where, where, where's it going to happen? Make it happen in 2019. So as you serve at church, this place becomes a little outpost of heaven for those who visit and are looking for a family of faith. Humanity is longing for unity. Psalm 133 reminds us that unity is from God. It's contagious and it's a foretaste of heaven. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. I think that we believe unity within community is good and pleasant because we're so hungry for it. The world has plenty of distrust. It has plenty of antagonism. There's plenty of anti-community out there. The church should be a refuge. We only find unity by coming together and discovering the life together as the body of Christ. So this year I want to challenge you as believers. As believers and members of this congregation, to unite here by getting connected at church. Find a place where you can belong, that you can support, that you can encourage one another. Second, you, you, let's unite around what matters most, the gospel. Let's not focus on our own preferences or things that are not that important. Let's care about what matters most. And then third, find a place to serve. And if you're a guest here this morning, or maybe you've been visiting for a while, and you've been thinking, you know what? I need to, just, I need to stop attending and I need to belong. Well, we want you to join. I hope that you'll make that decision today. And if you're here today and you're seeking a relationship with the Lord, you've never responded to God's free gift of salvation, I hope that this morning you would hear that Jesus is saying yes to you. On the cross, he said yes to forgiveness. In his resurrection, he said yes to eternal life for you. Today, would you believe Jesus and receive him today? May it be said in 2019 that First Baptist Church of Columbia is a congregation that is united as a body of believers who trust God and seek to do His will. Our Father and God, we come to you now just so thankful for your word. Thank you for the blessing that we experience in life. And one of those we know is unity. And so Lord, now as we come to respond, to make a decision, as you've spoken to our hearts, it might just be new commitments that we need to make. But for some, Lord, it might be a decision to trust you and follow in believers' baptism or trust you and believe in you today. Pray that you would help each person to respond as you would have us do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's time for invitation. If God's speaking to your heart, would you respond? I'll be down front. If you have a decision to make, you just walk right down here. We'd love to do that, even this first Sunday of the year. You stand as our choir sings, you respond.